0: But at the end of the day, it's like, there's a, there's a huge opportunity to try new stuff if you have the, like the vision to see it. And I think there's a new wave of people that are going to be doing that, right? Like the ministries that are going to reach the world 20 years from now haven't been built yet, probably. And so I think that's a, that's kind of what we're banking on, if that makes sense.
1: And I think that's the beauty of this is like, um, it's not Silicon Valley innovation, <laughs> right? It's, it's it's following Jesus into what's next, um, like being curious about our culture, like letting the Word and the Spirit lead us, um, and asking God for wisdom and knowledge along the way for our for our time. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not it's not perfect. I mean, it never is, but but God God uses it.
2: Hello, my friends, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur, and this is episode six of 2023, we are about to hit 150 episodes on this podcast, which is so fun and such a privilege. We're going to do something fun, some sort of giveaway for that. So stay tuned. More information coming soon. Check us out on Instagram for that. Today on the podcast, we have Missional Labs. These are my friends, Tyler Preeb, he's of New York City, and Steve Mulder, who's South African, but comes to us from Vancouver, Canada. And uh, what they're doing is an incubator and accelerator called Missional Labs that is about generations of missions and movements in the church. That is the future generations of what's happening. So you're going to want to lean into this, probably take some notes. Thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to Scripture Untangled Podcast uh, for making this whole podcast possible here at Word Me Digital. We actually couldn't do it without them. And as a reflect on this almost 150 episodes, I feel so grateful to partner with people like this to make this possible and bring this kind of content to you that you will be encouraged by and inspired by. And hey, you may want to sign up for Missional Labs after today. So I'm so glad that we are able to do it through these sponsors. More on them later. But if you are watching us or listening to us, hit subscribe, give us a review, send us a like or a comment. It just helps us know who's out there on the other end of this. Whenever we get a message or a DM or something like that, it's fun to interact with you and also just cool to hear, like when we send things out into the internet void, where does it go? So we'd love to hear from you. So let me tell you a little bit more about missional labs and what you can expect from today's conversation. Steve and Tyler help missional leaders design and launch new churches, ministries, movements, and networks. They're on the frontiers with their cohorts of modern culture through their accelerator programs and ecosystems of support. So they're trying to blend the best of venture accelerators, a school of mission, and a global missions agency all in one. Their vision is to catalyze a new wave of compelling, courageous ventures that renew the imagination of the church and reach the modern world with the way of Jesus. So this is no small task. It's very exciting. I don't know anyone else doing something quite like them, which is why I couldn't wait to have them on the podcast. Please enjoy my conversation with Steve Mullen. And Tyler Prieb. Tyler Prieb, Steve Mulder, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm pumped to have you on the podcast.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us, Joanna. So glad to be here.
2: Well, before we go too much farther, we're talking about um, this episode, we're talking about mission, the church, evangelism, the future, how everything has changed and yet everything is the same. Um, So before we go into all that, Uh, can you guys introduce yourself, Tyler? Who, who are you, Tyler?
0: Who am I? What a big question. Um, my name is Tyler. Uh, I live in New York city, uh, in North Brooklyn specifically. Um, I'm married to my wife, Melanie. We have a little girl on the way in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, I've been in New York about coming up on eight years now, something like that. Uh, I lead missional labs with Steve, um, and have a background Uh, As a local church pastor with Church of the City here in New York, I've also done some work with entrepreneurs through Praxis, a group called Praxis, and uh, I've done a lot of work uh, in global missions, working with church leaders around the world um, through uh, some different missions organizations and a bunch of other stuff that's probably less interesting. But (laughs) that's that's a little intro to me. I care about the church. I care about um, I care about the world. Um, I care about what God is doing in the world. and I'm I'm optimistic about what God is doing in the world. Mm. And I'm in New York because I love it. I love the city. I love being here.
2: And you're in New York, but also often not in New York. I was saying before we hit record, like following you on social media, like where in the world is Tyler Prieve? Like, I feel like you're in a different city or a different country, at least in the last year, like every every couple of days. <laughs> or like somebody's getting married and they're making you fly far away and pay lots of money to go to their weddings.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean look, I you know, I don't I don't think I don't want travel to be my brand or whatever, but I'm definitely a definitely a maximalist. We live in an amazing time in history and I think yeah. there are amazing people and God is doing amazing stuff in a lot of amazing places and and I love to learn and I love to um, you know, experience the world as best I can. And so uh and, and I think it just is part of my personality but too. So yeah, I'd like to stay on the move. But like I said, that's that is gonna be radically changing <laughs> here very soon. <laughs> I think so. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh Steve, who are you?
1: Great, thanks, Joe. I um, yeah, so my name's Steve. I live in Vancouver, Canada, originally from South Africa, I've been in Canada now twelve years. And, um, I was originally, yeah, I originally came to Canada to go to grad school at Regent College and thought I'd be here for, you know, just about two years figuring out my vocation. Previously, I was a sustainability consultant, lived in Dubai for a number of years. And, um, and really I came here with this, um, it's so interesting looking back just in terms of what I'm doing now, but I I really had this, this missionary heart. Um, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of people who grew up in North America, um, Sort of saw mission as like, you know, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, but don't send me to Africa. I was a little bit like, Lord, I'll go anywhere <laughs> or do anything, but don't send me to North America. You know? Um, so, so, you know, I came here with like a little bit of a missionary heart and, and open to seeing what God had for me here. And I've been here 12 years later worked um, work for a number of years with Alpha Canada, helping lead the team there. And I'm um, some of the work of Alpha around the world. Um, I'm also a local church guy. Spend time um, with Bridgetown Church down in Portland, um, and yeah, and then more recently, you know, launching Missional Labs, um, which we'll we'll talk a little bit about today. But but yeah, it's very similar to Tyler. You know, we we connected with each other uh, because we have a love for the local church and really believe that um, it's God's plan for for the world. And um, you know, I think in our vocations and over the years, we've seen you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, um, and we still feel hopeful for it. And like, mm. we we're this interesting mix of, um, you know, business, nonprofit ministry, and we see a lot of opportunity at that intersection for the sake of, for the sake of mission. So I'm married uh, to an Australian who I met in London. So we have this wild kind of global relationship with our families in different parts of the world. I have two daughters um, who are two and a half and six months old. So I'm very much new in the parenting world and it is, it's is—it's a great joy. And um, yeah, I'm in Vancouver, love living in Vancouver, one of the best cities in the world.
2: So what strikes me about how you both introduce yourselves is you're using words like uh, hopeful and optimistic. Uh A lot of people I'm talking to don't use that kind of language. (laughs) Again, this is like why I wanted to jump on with you guys, because I think what you're doing, what you're innovating, what Missional Labs is about is this interesting thing. So before we go into that thing, um, can we just start like why? (laughs) And it's like basic core, like why are you feeling optimistic? And do you feel like that's in um, response to pessimism or or um, deconstruction or um, like w- where is this coming from as you as you um, kind of from your position and as you look out at the world?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I live in New York, uh, which has its own reputation. Steve lives in Vancouver, one of the most secular cities in the West. We both spend a lot of time in London, a lot of time in. San Francisco, Portland, you know, these kind of secular centers. And you know, sure, the surface narrative is that everyone's deconstructing their faith, progressivism is taking over, secularism is dominant, everything is institutional decline. It's all down into the right. You know, that I mean, sure, that's that's true. Um it's numerically true, it's culturally true. But at the same time, I think, you know, creativity and and renewal and all that stuff always kind of happens in the margins and Mm -hmm. you hear people say things like, Oh, the church is always at its best when it's a minority. And you, you know, the, I guess the irony is that we don't want it to be a minority, but when it is something, something happens, there's a purification that happens. And, um, you know, you start to hear voices out and about, you know, I think of like a Mark Sayers or somebody like that that's saying, Hey, look, um, God's doing a new thing. And, um, and there's a clearing away of a lot of the old and, you know, and, and, you know, God isn't anxious. I think is a good way that I like to think about it. God's not anxious, and so what's so we can take this posture of like, what's happening? What is coming next? What's He doing? What are the new things that are emerging? And I really do think that when, um, particularly when Christians are a minority in a cultural space, uh, there's a lot of creativity that comes out of that, and because you have to hold your your faith. Um, you know, you know, you have to hold it quite a bit more strongly. You can't just coast. You can't just be carried along by the cultural currents. And so uh, as I've spent time with church communities in New York and in places like that, I mean, yeah, maybe they're a little smaller or whatever, um, but I think there's a lot of potency there. And I think with that is this idea that that um, in the end, I, you know, I don't think the secular story is going to hold water forever. You know, I think mm-hmm. it already is starting to show its cracks in a lot of different ways. And maybe not in the immediate term, but in the long term, I think people are going to continue to be looking for things that are, um, you know, uh, timeless, transcendent, um, reliable, stable, hopeful, like things they can really anchor themselves on. And uh, and so I, I think, you know, I think Christianity is going to be just fine um, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And I think like, you know, just to add to that a little bit, I you know, I feel positive just from the conviction that I am... Um, my ecclesiology is really heavily centered on the local church and the fact that God used ordinary kind of messed up people, uh, for the sake of his, his kingdom. And, you know, no matter, no matter how dark things get, um, you know, God uses ordinary people to bring hope and healing and, and, and life and flourish into the world. So I think like, you know, Jesus didn't give up on the church. He kind of came and he instituted the church and, you know, the, the gates of hell will not prevail. And like, we know how the story ends. So it's like, well, there's a ton of hope in that and it can get very dark, but in the mm-hmm. dark, um, the, the light does shine the brightest. And, and I think like, I just carry a conviction. Like, you know, as I said, like I've experienced um, the local church or um, various forms of it in different parts of the world. And I, I've really come to see its beauty and um, and just to see the, the the hospitality of God's people, and you know when you actually are, um, and not everybody has this perspective, but we I think are privileged to to sometimes sit on the front lines and hear the, the stories, uh, the compelling stories of like what actually is hopeful. You know, the right. young person who's got boldness and courage and is stepping out into the thing that God's called him to do. And you see life and you see vitality and you see, I mean, that is, that is super hopeful. And, um, and, and, you know, my time at Alpha, when you, when you seen people come to faith or hearing how people's lives are transformed, it's like, I'm choosing to focus on that because there's, there is life, there's life there.
2: I love that. And I think that's probably as you're both sort of talking about it, you're talking about it in the context of seeing it play out in all these places, whether by uh, interest in travel, maximalism, I love that description of a Tyler. <laughs> I Maybe I should use that term for myself now. Uh, as much as possible, let's go somewhere. Uh, and, you know, Steve, of course, for you in this sort of multinational uh, life and marriage that you experience, like... Even just in the West, you're seeing so many different ways that this can play out. And then, of course, your time in Alpha, churches across the country, seeing what is going on and finding some hopeful stories. Um, Yeah, because it does feel like a lot of people are, you know, uh, making their... Uh, bomb shelters or whatever, packing in a bunch of canned goods metaphorically for the storm ahead, you know, hunker down, let's see if we can survive this thing. Um, Because so many of the models that have worked, at least in recent memory, a lot of stuff There's some stuff that's nothing's new under the sun, but there's some other stuff that's just just not working anymore. And so if you were sort of thriving in that model or made a lot of money in that model, that was your living or that was the kind of thing you were hired to do in a local community church, uh, it may not work that way anymore. And you're finding yourself disoriented, discouraged, disillusioned, all those dis-words. So... Okay. Like intermissional labs. Um, um, I don't, I don't actually know the story of how this came about. Like, was this like, had you guys been meeting and dreaming about this for a long time before it came to be, uh, Steve, what happened there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I will, I'll kind of hand it over to Tyler because the story goes, um, when I met him, like, I think, you know, ultimately he had been thinking and dreaming about it a little bit longer than I had, but, Really, um, you know, I'll I'll give my part, but in the middle of COVID, you know, sort of in the in in the midst of the pandemic and the and the shutdown, um I was on an interesting vocational um adventure, which I don't have time to go go into detail now, but I I was observing leaders, you know, all around the world, like whether in the church or out the church or whatever, just recognizing that the playbook that they were using just doesn't actually is not helpful anymore. And mm-hmm. um, and just realized that COVID was accelerating our moment and that, that the world was going to inc- be increasingly different and, and change um, and made me realize like we need a different map. And I sort of had confidence that the Holy Spirit was there guiding us. And, um, you know, at the time I was reminded and was doing a bit of research in design thinking. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, um this methodology or tool for problem solving more iteratively more exper- experimentally um, would be a, a very helpful way for the church to think about how it navigates the future um mm-hmm. and yeah and then ultimately like Tyler and I ended up connecting and um, and he was the first person I came across that had actually liter- he literally wrote his master's thesis on like design thinking and mission um and I studied a lot about you know, missiology and mission. Um, when I was, you know, when I was at grad school as well, and um, just a combination, I was like, "This is this is crazy that somebody's like actually thought detailed about this." And um, so, th- yeah, so we just started chatting from there. But, but, and then I was sort of like catching up to Tyler on the journey that he had been on a little bit as well. So, Tyler, go great.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I was just trying to digest my own experiences and my own sense of call and my own sense of conviction and being kind of a student of history and a student of the world. And I was just trying to digest all this stuff. I was trying to understand global missions and what's happening in the global church. I was trying to understand church planting and all the movements and networks and, and models and all, you know, and then there's all the, all kind of the mega church conversation. I was just trying to understand all that stuff. And then you have like the way seminary is changing and then you have like um, you know, you've got all the conversations around innovation and technology and how cultures change. Like I was just like trying to digest all this stuff um, and try to get a handle on it. And yeah, I'd been doing a bit of grad work on innovation methodologies and design and all this stuff. And how does this apply to the front edge of the church? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people like to talk about the church, you know, the church this, the church that, models, methods, techniques, you know, all that kind of thing. And and that's great. Like I'm not, I'm not particularly moralistic about that, um, one way or the other. And then, you know, a lot of people like to talk about technology, like what's the internet going to do and what are mobile phones going to do and what's AI going to do and what's web three going to do and what's, you know, all this stuff that like, cool, like they like to center the conversations on that. Um, but I guess I've really found that, that for me, like I like centering the conversation around mission right? Like what is God doing in the world? Like what does the scriptures tell us about what God's purposes are and what he's trying to do? And then, you know, what church looks like should flow out of that in a context and in a place and what what are different approaches to, you know, engaging people with the gospel and, and helping them understand the, you know, the the message of the kingdom and the way of Jesus in different times and places. Like to me, those things are all downstream of of deep reflection on who God is and what he's like and what he's trying to do in the world and what he tells tells us about that and so there's this timeless call to mission uh, that I think we you know in many ways we all share no matter what type no matter how we're coming at the conversation about Christianity and culture and then there's this invitation to a new time and a new place mm. um, and that's why I was so fascinated it 's like what you know what it like what would hold together um an approach to pioneering the gospel in Toronto that would be similar to pioneering the gospel in Nairobi, that would be similar to pioneering the gospel in China. And how do we begin to get handles on that? And so that's what I was really thinking about. Like, how do we do that? What does it look like to uh, equip and catalyze, um, you know, the missionary spirit, wherever it is to be found, the type of person that is willing to go uh, explore and push on what's next, um, and so that's like the theoretical foundations for what, what, I, what we were exploring. Um, and then more practically it, you know, we've been on this long journey of basically how do you find and equip, uh, the people that have that spirit, that have that yeah. missionary mentality? You know, I mean, I was one of those guys, I was at Urbana when I was in college and Same. I you know, I was like, I'll go anywhere. You know, I had, I had family members yeah, that me were me
2: too, like, And I'm in Toronto. What yeah, happened, so, man? Like, you know,
0: I had, I had family members that were like the legendary, heroic pioneers of, you know, in Congo and Pakistan or wherever. And and obviously there there are things that are problematic about the missionary enterprise. I get that. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, like missionaries are such a critical source of vitality, creativity, innovation, courage, all these things that that the church needs right now. And so I basically decided like, I don't want to have a conversation about technology. I don't want to have a conversation about Um, methods and playbooks. I don't want to have a conversation about ecclesiology. You know, I want to have a conversation about the missionary call and the missionary imagination Mm. and let all those things flow out of that. Because to me, Mm. like that's where, that's where innovation comes from in the church. It's, it's the, it's the, you know, I will do whatever it takes to help people understand who Jesus is. Um, So that's been kind of the starting point. There's a lot more I could say on that in terms of where that's led us, but But that was the, that was kind of the philosophical center for me and for us.
2: Quick break in the conversation with Tyler and Steve, because I want to tell you about a new podcast that I've been involved in by the Canadian Bible Society. And I think the Bible can be overwhelming. It can feel confusing. It can feel hard to believe. And so Scripture Untangled, a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, brings you interviews with culture leaders and leaders in ministry and Bible thinkers to help you be inspired to dive into the Bible and understand it. You can listen for free and subscribe to Scripture Untangled wherever you listen to podcasts and listen at scriptureuntangled.ca for more info. scriptureuntangled.ca and the link will be down in the show notes. Yeah, and what strikes me about what you're saying, Tyler, I don't think I'm not sure if this is the right language. I'm not sure if this is what I mean, but it's it's like you're describing a lot of people are trying to reverse engineer okay we have this technology let's go back like now what what do we do with it but you're actually saying like let's start with not the the reality of the technology or the these questions that people often are asking you're saying like let's start with a curiosity that starts before that and then move forward from there rather than saying here's the iphone Uh, how do we reverse engineer how to how what does this have to say to the church and to theology and ecclesiology and you know our relationship technology and all that stuff you're saying like let's go let's go way back we're asking the wrong question let's start earlier
0: yeah yeah a little bit I mean obviously the the medium is the message in some senses we do need to have a good a good uh, philosophy and theology of how technology is like shaping us for sure absolutely but um but yeah I'm more interested in um, I guess what I'd say is I'm more interested in like, who are you and what is God calling you to do and where is he sending you? And then um, what is he calling you to do in that place? And who is he calling you to serve? And then let the ecclesiology or the approach or the method or the tech or the whatever flow out of that conversation, right? Hmm. Like right. so many people get bent out of shape about like mega church, micro church, bivocational, co-vocational church, like all this stuff. And like uh, I just don't really care. To be honest, I mean I do, but it's like to me, it's like, hey, look, if you're a teacher, then teach. If you're an entrepreneur, then build something new. If you're a yeah. shepherd, then you should probably be in a church that lets you shepherd. You know, and and, and I think that to me, it's more about like, uh, I guess the other side of mission is vocation. Like we need to help people do things that fit them, you know, and 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 serve God in the way that they're meant to serve God, and then push them out into the world to do those things, you know, and I think the church springs up around that.
2: And so it sounds like you're sort of, you're talking around it, but that's where this thing you've in in terms of trying to formalize that process is this thing, missional labs, or at least this accelerator cohort thing. I sat in on um, some of the pitch day stuff where there are these people doing it i mean even that like for people to hear on this podcast like there are people doing innovative things that are exciting intriguing um and based on their unique skills gifts callings location mm-hmm. etc
0: yeah i mean so I'll, I'll probably let steve talk a bit more about some of the specifics yeah. of that but you know it didn't take very long to be to realize hey look Um, If we are looking for the entrepreneurial edge of mission, like the front edge of what God is doing in the world. um, Well, you know, like that looks a lot like um, entrepreneurial education and support. Right. So there's a lot of people doing that in different sectors without a Christian framework or Christian worldview. Um, But we said, hey, look, surely there are people out there that are trying to, uh, you know, solve missional problems and and pioneer new Mm -hmm. expressions of the church or new ways of engaging with Jesus or understanding Christianity or whatever it is. And so once we had that lens, um, you know, I, I remember just feeling like suddenly I could name a hundred different projects that I was seeing bubble up around the world, you know, from wow, yeah. different podcasts to different tech, to different educational spaces, to different kind of unique church planting approaches, to all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, let me just see, you know, if we can pull something together. Um and so that became a cohort, which then became another cohort, and we kind of called it an accelerator, brought in some mentors, brought in some some voices, some faculty. you know a lot of these projects were pretty early stages, but wanted to help them develop their vision, develop their ideas and then yeah, what you're mentioning is we did a we did a virtual pitch day um, in December and invited our network of pastors and funders and whatever, and just invited all these projects to give four minute pitches that we had helped them develop and coach them on um, about. You know, the thing that they were working on, the thing that God had called them to do, what was their thesis around how it was like kind of mission oriented, how did it connect to the church, just all these types of things. And so it was a bit experimental, but um, but it was cool. It went really well and it feels like we were able to uh, share some really hopeful, um, kind of inspiring stories um, a little more broadly of some new things that are bubbling up.
2: So I'll, I'll throw it over you, Steve, because I, yeah, sitting in on that day, checking it out on the website, kind of learning more about some of these projects. Um, that is what strikes me. There's there's sort of this willingness to experiment, entrepreneurial, apostleship, whatever we, whatever words we're using. But underneath of it is this desire to like try something <laughs> um, and try something across like a bunch of different you know, factors, as you said, like from, from like the media stuff to, um, you know, to church planning things, to ministries, to certain key groups. Like, it's just interesting to see like the breadth of things as people were um, coming up against this. And maybe Steve, uh, as a jumping point into sort of some of the mechanics of this, I'm curious to know, like people, lots of people, you know, ideas are cheap. Lots of people have an idea, um, but there seem to be like probably some themes of like the things that stop you from actually doing it. So like people might, even from, maybe the idea isn't even their own. We would say like, it's like a Holy Spirit inspired image, vision, idea of a future. And then like, there's a thousand small things and big things between that idea and it actually like growing any fruit in the world. So like, is it like, Is it, and I don't think it is, but is is it like they just need money? (laughs) The (laughs) only problem is if only they had, you know, a million bucks, this thing would, you know, make some serious waves in the world. Uh, What are you guys seeing as you're working with people and you're going through this process with them? um, What are some of those common classic things that are stopping those great, maybe even God-given visions from kind of going anywhere beyond... The coffee shop they're talking about it in
1: totally and you know that's a conversation that we we actually have quite often and i and i love that question because i am i don't think you know i think god is he's wired us creatively um i think god gives people ideas all the time and like as you say like what are some of the barriers to actually seeing these things come to to live in the world and 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 and, and us really reap the fruit of them And, you know, I think, I think money is, uh, money is honestly a big one, but, but for Mm -hmm. the most part, like, as you know, we, we say with our projects, like if we can help, um, help you launch this with, with courage and confidence and clarity, um, often those are, are some of the pieces, you know, I was like, you know, like fear, the sort of the entrepreneur, you know, true entrepreneurs are just going to kind of go out and do it anyway. But there are a lot of people with good ideas that just don't know what the next step is. Um, and I even think, Joe, like think about your journey in starting like Word Made Digital. And, um, mm. you know, was there a community around you to help you think through what does this actually look like? What is your business plan? What is your, you know, what are your marketing dynamics? What does your team look like? I mean, I don't know. You probably had to figure out all that stuff by yourself, right?
2: <laughs> I mean, probably could have. Joined some sort of accelerator, like as you say, the accelerator, or you know, pulled out my old business textbooks or something. Uh, it was a lot of trial and error for sure, and probably a lot. Things could have for sure gotten off the ground a lot quicker with guidance, mentorship, um, just a game plan of even like next step call the tax people and set this thing up legally, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think like, you know, there's some practical details to these things, but um, sometimes those things are the barriers. Um, But, you know, more, more often than not, like people, people have great ideas and are doing great things in the world, but they are doing them alone and isolated and are in community and not, um, and that's the beauty of, of a cohort and the beauty of learning from peers or from um, mentors who have who have walked the path before, and I think that makes for an incredibly rich experience. But also, um, we really believe that if God has called people to do things, and this is where the vocational piece comes into view, um, is like we really want to listen to the heart of these projects. You know, them being more than just a, a side hustle. Just like what and um, what is the sacrifice involved? What is the um, what is the faith and the obedience and um and the vocational call um yeah. on the lives of these people because it's it's yes it's about ventures and um wanting to renew the imagination of the church but it's it's also about the venture bullets about the, the people and their journey and their vocation and and helping them step into what God's called them to. Um so it's it really is about, you know, all of those those different pieces. Um, and that's what, you know, like, I think that's why I find this work, like, really compelling. And, but as you say, like, there are barriers. Like, when I know many pastors that hear from their congregation many times, like, people come with them with all with with ideas all the time. And some of them are great, and some of them, you know, are legitimately, you know, fair enough, you can <laughs> maybe share that. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, I think there are, thousands of ideas and, if you, and especially with the next generation, who's just like wired entrepreneurially in a, in a mm. different way. But if it sort of doesn't fit within the alignment or, um, the vision and mission of that specific community, then where do you point, where, where do you point those people to do? And I think like often the church has done a bit of a disservice to entrepreneurs because they like, they don't know what their place is. And I mean, in this case, like we're not necessarily talking like classic case entrepreneurs, but it's, it's people you sort of like have that apostolic um, spirit and pioneering spirit, but know may not necessarily like work for the church, but are passionate about the kingdom and like maybe working, um, you know, working out their vocation in the secular context is also maybe not the place that God's called them to be. So how do we, how do we look for those people um, and work with them and come alongside them?
0: Yeah. And I mean, let me comment, you know, on that. Joe, you said, you said, you know, ideas are cheap. They're dime a dozen. And in some ways that's true, right? Like, we you know, some people have 10 ideas before breakfast or whatever, right? <laughs> um, but there, but there's something very different about somebody that has really done the work over time and through mm-hmm. pain and in community to really get a sense for like, this is why I'm on God's earth. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I'm here for. This is my call. And, and once that clicks for somebody, like really clicks at a deep level, I mean, that, that is something you can invest in. That's something you can build on. You know, like, uh, I guess by parallel, in the, in the VC world, you know, um, every investor is trying to get an advantage. They're trying to get in earlier. They're trying to back winners. They're trying to do all that stuff. And it's fraught with complications because how do you know, right? Like, the, yeah. again, ideas are dime a dozen. And one of the things that they look for in the earliest stages is what's called um, founder problem fit or founder market fit. And the basic mm-hmm. idea is, is this founder the right person to work on this problem and why? Mm-hmm. And because you you don't know what the product is going to be. You don't know what the the team is going to look like. You don't know what the complications are going to be. You don't know what the journey is going to look like. But does this person have the, the perspective, the history, the experience, mm-hmm. the intuition, the positioning, to tackle this problem. Right. And if they do, then that's a really early signal that this is something you can get behind. And I think that the way that God's call works on people's life is something like that. It's like, you kind of just know when somebody starts to do something that it's like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Like that's the thing that they are meant to be doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that feeling. Yeah, I do
2: know. I know. I know and, what you're trying to say.
0: And so it's like, it's like looking for that is like a really important piece of this.
2: And, um, and when you say looking for that, um, do you mean looking for that at missional labs or maybe just even broadly for leaders? Like, you know, cause as you say, the pastors, I, I know this feeling myself. I've been a pastor, mm-hmm. like everybody's got an idea like let's get goats to cut the lawn or let's get the youth group to cut the lawn or let's just hire someone to cut the lawn, you know, whatever. There's so many ways to come at these problems we have or these things Mm -hmm. we want to do. And some of these ideas are great and some are terrible, but some are just simply like not the fit for this community at this time. Um, As you say, then what is the leader to do? Where do we send these people? This does Mm -hmm. seem to be something that is more than just the five ideas you had before breakfast. This is like maybe something God has placed on you, but we aren't the place maybe for you to be nurtured in that. Um, I think that happens so often. And then people feel um, like they don't know where to go. They stall out or they, Mm -hmm. um, it just sort of flounders. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 10 years later, they're like, oh yeah, I remember that dream I had one time.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a lot there, Joanna. I mean, so... obviously we are talking about our own work in the sense of like trying to find projects that we want to bring into our accelerator or whatever, but but also at the local church level and just as a leadership principle more generally, it's like, how do you nurture and develop and catalyze, you know, God's mission in someone's life, like God's calling in someone's life. And um, that's a bit challenging, especially at the local church level because it's not necessarily the local church's job to build everybody else's thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I do think it is the local church's job to be the, um, the greenhouse, if you will, or the, the incubator of, of what God wants to do in somebody's heart, right. To help nurture it, to help name it, to help call it out. But then at some point, you know, you, you do have to like lovingly, like kick somebody out of the nest and say, go forth and figure it out, you know? And, yeah. and so that's, that's a tricky tension, right? I mean, that's like, those are family dynamics the church is a family you can't live at home forever you have to eventually like figure out what you're gonna do with your life and go um, <laughs> and and so I think that that's actually a healthy process um, but the what's challenging is that a lot of times local churches whether for whatever reason culture lack of capacity or whatever it's like the only leadership pathways they have are inward facing mm-hmm. right it's like you know it's like become a team leader or or a volunteer leader or a deacon or an elder or whatever. And that's great. Um, but that actually misses the fact that most people's callings are out in the world, on inside mm-hmm. of the four walls of the church. And so there has to be this catalytic, like raising up and sending thing. Um, and, I, and I think that gets missed a lot of times.
2: Another break here in the conversation with Tyler and Steve, because we're talking about this big audacious goal of transformation of communities. And transformation of the world through the way of Jesus. And I think it can feel like a buzzword, like what does it even really look like? Well, one of the places I have seen transformation so evident is in the stories of former Compassion sponsored children. That's the graduates or alumni of the Compassion program who are now adults and telling their stories of how sponsorship impacted them. So for example, Ria from the Philippines, I have met her myself. And when she tells her story, she has this impactful line that says, knowing someone cares for you, who has never met you, that changes you. And Rhea's story is a powerful highlight of how being sponsored built Christ-like confidence in her and empowered her to take hold of a future free from poverty, breaking the cycle. But I love this. Today, she's a passionate advocate for kids and sponsors a child herself in the same community where she grew up. She is now a sponsor. Child sponsorship transforms lives. And you can find out more about Rhea's story and others Likers, other alumni, you can go check it out and learn more about child sponsorship, compassion.ca slash if only, compassion.ca slash if only, and the link is down in the show notes. Okay, back to the conversation with Tyler and Steve. Hmm. Well, and Tyler, as you're talking, I would love, um, uh, because you're talking uh, broadly about like this, and, and I want to kind of Get on that touch point of like, what might we be missing if we don't do this? And that's where I I found it really helpful when I joined you on on one of these calls um, where you were kind of giving. It was a, a brief history lesson. I don't know which of you wants to to give it to us, uh, but if you could give us like like there was like names, organizations, things that we've seen as movements that started probably as maybe that I don't, you know that young person annoying that. 200 years ago, the guy annoying the local parish leader with Mm -hmm. some innovative idea, and he had to go out and try it. And it became something bigger than... Or collaborating with his friends, and it became something much bigger. Um, Can you kind of talk about... And that's part of what draws you into what you're doing in this work with questions for our our own future or the church's future. Um, Give us that history lesson on some of those organizations. I
0: mean, I'll take a swing at it, Steve. You can add color if you want to, but, you know, every... Every big old thing was once a a small young thing. You know what I mean? Like every megachurch started with a group of people in a living room. Every denomination started with some friends that wanted to like go after what God had for them. You know, every big missions organization started as like a couple people trying to just be faithful in a moment. So, so like, don't discount the day of small beginnings, right? Like we have to, um, recognize that like, that, that that's how things change like that's how things start and so if you look through church history um you know there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of people that just you know probably didn't know what they were doing they were just taking steps and being faithful to god and moving out from what was known into what was unknown and all this kind of stuff i mean you know you had like you know at first it's like the early church like this underground movement in the roman empire and you know and 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 that's really energizing and terrifying and all these sorts of things. And then, and then you know, fast forward 300 years and suddenly the the whole empire is Christian and becoming decadent yeah. and all these things. And so then the next move is like, hey, we're just going to go out into the desert. Like we're leaving the cities. We're going out into the desert to follow Jesus. And that became the basis of like, you know, the monastic movement, which was like a whole thing for a really long time. And then that flourished into like, like oh my goodness like society is literally collapsing around us like maybe these monastic centers should be places of like education and copying the bible and like you know learning language and and then that was the seedbeds of like lots of things like the universities and all these sorts of things and and i guess my point is is like in every era of history there's always people that are trying to like prophetically move against or move into the future counter to what the dominant culture is doing right mm-hmm. and so um you know, there and there's so many examples of that. And and then even in something as structured and established as like, say, you know, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, you still had these people that had a different spirit that were like, hey, we want to build, you know, um, a brotherhood of people that exist for holiness and for advancing the gospel. And then boom, suddenly you have like the Franciscans and the Dominicans and the Benedictines and all these like, like orders that are like trying to do something different and trying to pursue the the radical, like, um, edge and frontier of what was possible in that time. Right. And you can go on and on. Um, you know, you can start talking about the, the, you know, the missionary era or the, the, you know, the the Wesleys and the Whitfields and the Victorian era and William Carey and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, okay, well, now we live in this age of like um, global exploration. And there was a lot wrong with that, but, but there was also a lot right with that in terms yeah. of um, the gospel, like expanding its, its reach and its borders into different places, and now we live in this 21st century era. You know, it's not the same thing as it was 100 years ago or anything like that. But as culture changes and as these times change and as these eras mm-hmm. change, the opportunities for what's next in mission changes, right? And so, one of the things I think you're mentioning, Joe, is how um, all of the big 20th century missions organizations, like Uh, Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and YOM and Young Life and Youth with a Mission and all that, you know, Navigators, all this stuff for the most, even World Vision, Compassion, for the most part, um, you know, all those organizations that are 70 to 80 years old now all started within like a 10 year window, right? Like around the end of World War II. Right. And that's for a reason, right? Like there's these big macro trends that are catalyzed there's a new generation that rises up and they they're not content with what came before and then a big catalytic thing comes and sweeps away all the old stuff and then it's like what do we do now? And I think that we're in, I think we're in like a a version of that, right? And yeah. so, you know, COVID comes through and sweeps everything clean and and politics is sweeping everything clean. And then there's scandals that are sweeping everything clean. And, you know, people put all kinds of like prophetic apocalyptic language on that about God's judgment and revival and all this stuff, which is great. But at the end of the day, it's like, there's a, there's a huge opportunity to try new stuff if you have the, like the, the vision to see it. And I think there's a new wave of people that are going to be doing that, right? Like the ministries that are going to reach the world 20 years from now haven't been built yet, probably. And so I think that's a, that's kind of what we're banking on, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No. Nothing to add. I think it's just like, um, yeah. I think like we've sort of termed them like maybe innovation structures throughout history. That's not really what they were. It's just like joining God in what He's doing, right? I think it just comes back to that again. Um, and I think that's the beauty of this is like, um, it's not Silicon Valley innovation, right? It's 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 following Jesus into what's next, um, like being curious about our culture, like letting the word and the spirit lead us um, and asking God for wisdom and knowledge along the way for our, for our time. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not perfect. I mean, it never is, but, but God, God uses it.
2: And so maybe um, as kind of one of my last questions for the sake of time today, um, it strikes me that all of this is about things like embracing failure Experimentation, risk, curiosity, um, collaboration. <laughs> um, so how how do we go there? Like nobody likes to fail. Nobody wants their thing to be tried and fail. Or maybe I should say, maybe I should ask this a different way: Is the is the new generation coming up more more comfortable with that? Um, because who like who wants to fail? You know, who wants their thing? Did we tried it? It didn't work. We spent this money and time. It's kind of embarrassing back to the drawing board. Um, how do how do we be more comfortable with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Steve kind of said like, this isn't Silicon Valley innovation, yeah. right? There's, this is like Acts 2 innovation. And I think that's a big difference because, um, you know, there's a there's a mode of innovation that has taken over the church, especially in America and in the West. It's like um, bigger, better, you know, more efficient, more effective, higher leverage, better outcomes, better, you know, results and, and all that stuff um, you know, scalability tech and great. Awesome. Right. Like let's, let's use the tools that have been given to us. Um, but a lot of what we're calling pioneering, you know, in the short term in history, didn't look very successful. Right. Like we have to remember, like Jesus was killed and, and the people that (laughs) followed him were killed. And so they're like, not
2: a good look. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) the,
0: The, the prophetic journey or the pathless path or the apostolic, whatever it's like, those those are hard roads. You cannot hack your way towards like mission. You have to sacrifice, you have to pay a price. And, um, and so all that to say is like, like failure can be very hopeful, you know, it can be very potent. It can be very, it can be a sign and a symbol of like, of something God is doing in the world. You know, um, we have to be really careful about that. Um, at the same time, you know, failure is often, uh, you know, a thing that God uses to, teach, to train, to purify, to direct, to steer, um, into, you know, a, a thing that fits us better into a thing that you're like meant to do. I could tell 10 stories and so could Steve and Joanna. So could you probably about like having these hunches and clues about the things we were meant to be doing to follow God. And it didn't, it was like, ah, oh, it's not quite that. That's oh, not quite that. And you just find your way forward. Like, there's no other way to do it. Um, but it takes courage to like to step up and try something and to step up and go for it, even if you don't have all the answers yet.
1: Yeah. And I think I, I would just add, um, I, I don't know. um maybe I don't know enough about the next generation and it's an area that I I want to increasingly learn more about, but there does seem to be, um, an energy towards like, you know, starting new things and doing things, you know, whether there's this resilience, um, to do it is another thing. And I think that's part of what we're thinking about as well. Like it's, it's it's not just like try and fail but it's actually like you need a theology and you need sort of a praxis that goes with it you need to understand it from a messy, like you know technical sort of missiological perspective but you also just need to understand it from a leadership and a character and a formation as well as like the practical outworkings of it and i think like it's it's sort of both and because you can have all the success of trying and failing, you know, like learning from your failures, but if you don't have the other stuff, then that's not going to, you know, get you you to what you're after. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, nobody wants to embrace failure, but I think we're at this moment where the math that we've been using is, is, is no longer helpful. Um, so whether we like it or not, we have to kind of way find our way, um, in, in the Mm -hmm. world, and um and that's that's gonna lead to some unexpected outcomes. And I think like we probably are really getting used to it in COVID and it's just like we just need we need just continue um leading and learning in in that way adaptive adaptively. Um so yeah, not not easy by any stretch of the imagination. But God is with us, so I feel hopeful about that.
2: Yes. Um, you know, as you're talking, it strikes me I've just over the last couple of weeks watched uh A show that had all these pioneers like trekking across the Oregon Trail in America from these Europeans learning, you know, wanting a new life, a new way, having to learn all these new skills because they came from Europe and they're now like, you know, covered with the covered wagons across America, little, you know, not the little house on the prairie, but like that. And it's like death violence trials disease like all this horrible stuff happens to these people and we can sit in 2023 and we know some people did make it like some people did get the land did build the thing the railroads came like all this stuff happened and i'm not trying to speak around colonization and taking over territories I'm, i'm not taking it from that angle. But what I'm talking about is like pain, loss, grief, Mm -hmm. failure, like is a defining thing of the pioneer. (laughs) It's just brutally hard and there's all kinds of risk. And it seems like the story of those people in this show is like doing it for the hope of what could be like, we're not all going to make it there. But like, for those of us who do, it's so worth it. Like not everyone. And anyways, that's what I'm hearing you describe. Like, I think we can romanticize a pioneer. But when you look at it from like a very honest perspective, it is a brutal, difficult, courageous, and journey full of failure. And mm-hmm. like, not everybody's going to get to the end of that row. But like, um, uh, why, why I love this idea of like a place where what you're building with missional labs of like, we can do this together. We can help each other. We can use our shared knowledge to get further, um, than we would have on our own.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to comment on that because, because, you know, pioneering only happens in sort of a middle space. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Mark Sayers talks about this a lot in his recent book, non-anxious presence, but you you know, for the most part, you pioneer in order to go settle somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So the goal of pioneering is to reach a new equilibrium or a new safety or a new stability. Right. And but the challenge is that um then if you if you're if if you then over-index for stability and safety, well, then you actually lose all the vitality that comes with risk taking and pioneering yeah. and trying new things, right? And so there's a there's a balance there that needs to be had and this is this this is so obvious in churches because they start out as pioneering endeavors as as risk as community on mission together you know breaking the status quo and then eventually they settle into you know politics and problems and the way we do things around here and it it's like it just sucks all the life out of it mm-hmm. and and so that's why it's like you have to then carve off part of your church and send them out to go plant something new so that you've got some vitality going on. And so there's this, there's always this balance between like pioneering and settling and lots of missiologists talk about that. But, um, but, but the, you know you can't pioneer forever either. The, you have to find the balance. So
2: yeah. Well, God help us all. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not easy. Everything we're describing, it's why we need like the Holy Spirit's inspiration, guidance, good theology, and education behind us. A whole community of people. Uh, if people want to find what you're doing, what you're building, uh, where do you want to send people on the internet today? You, there's a, probably a few places they could go. Where do you, where do you want to point people?
0: Uh, yeah, you can just go to our website, um, missionallabs.co. Um, and you'll, you'll see some of the projects we've worked with our next program, uh, you know, some of the stuff we write about, talk about, and, um, we are launching another accelerator, uh, this fall starting beginning of September. And so that's going to be, um, a nine month program. We'll have about 12 seats for that. Um, uh, I, as of right now, we're looking at having, um, kind of in-person touch points for that program in New York, in London, and in San Francisco, and then trying to gather pastors, leaders, ministry people in each of those spaces to hear from these ventures, um, and then a bunch of coaching and virtual stuff in between. So that's kind of the design of the program, um, and we're going to build awesome. out off of that, but we're trying to really focus on on that accelerator program.
2: Awesome. Steve, Tyler, thanks so much. Uh, Everybody watch this space. I'm so excited to see what comes out of some of these. I'm now following some of these people on social from there. And I've, I've even reached out to a couple of them already. So uh, there's an opportunity for all of us to check out what's going on. um, Apply maybe to be in a future accelerator, but also just be encouraged. If that's not you be encouraged by checking out what is stirring up and, Hey, you know, we never, never know what will ha- happen. As you said, the things that are going to reach people 20 years from now, uh, they're, they maybe have not even been started yet. So right. I hope everybody feels so encouraged after getting in your brains for a few minutes. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks,
1: Steve. So good. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for, for our time together. I appreciate it.
2: Steve, Tyler, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. It's a privilege to know you and be inspired by what you're doing next week on the podcast. This is Sarah Billups, and she's writing and thinking about orphaned believers. This may be you, or this may be a lot of people that you know right now, uh, people who are outside the church, but still call themselves followers of Jesus, but feel so disconnected or don't identify in some way with church. And so it's an important conversation we're going to lean into next week. Thank you so much to our sponsors who as always are making the podcast possible. Almost 150 episodes in and sponsors are helping us do it and bring it to you. So Compassion Canada who is on this season of podcast. They are all about lifting children from poverty in Jesus name. And then also this new podcast Scripture Untangled by the Canadian Bible Society. I want you to check them out. It supports us when you support them. So go click on those links and check out the show notes. Thanks so much for liking, subscribing, commenting, reviewing, whatever you can do to help us know you're out there, but also help more people find the content that we're creating. We'll see you on the next Word Made Digital Podcast.